0: Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview-style podcast. Those interviews are all involved in the off-road industry. Being involved, like all of my guests are, is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to competitive teams, racers, rock crawlers, business owners, employees, media and private park owners, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle. We discuss their personal history, struggles, successes, and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active in Off-Road. We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world we live and love and call Off-Road.
1: Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis Tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis Tires deliver. Choose Maxis. tread victoriously.
0: Have you seen 4Low Magazine yet? 4Low Magazine is a high-quality, well-written, four-wheel-drive-focused magazine for the enthusiast market. If you still love the idea of a printed magazine, something to save and read at any time, Forlow is the magazine for you. Forlow cannot be found in stores, but you can have it delivered to your home or place of business. Visit com to order your subscription today. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Stephen Besick. Stephen is, well, I know Stephen from back in the early ARB days. I'm um, not sure exactly when he started. Um, I knew a couple of guys, I think, prior to him, but, you know, Stephen has always been a great guy. Um, he's uh, jumped around with a couple of companies, but it looks like he's solid now. We're happy to hear that. Stephen, thank you for coming on board and sharing your life, and uh, it's good to talk to you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Now you know, we've been trying to to set this up for a while. Yeah, we and, have. And uh, finally <laughs> finally worked out.
0: It's good. I'm glad we were able to do this. So let's jump right in and find out where you were born and raised.
1: Yep. So I'm one of the few people in Western Washington that 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 actually was born here in the Seattle Tacoma area. Um, I've uh, I was born and raised in Kelb, Washington. And the furthest I moved was North Seattle for about nine years, and now I'm back down closer to, to where I was born. Um, I like think seven eight miles. So from uh, the actual hospital. Uh, I'm actually currently living in federal way.
0: Okay. And what was the uh, the area like back then? I mean, I've been, my dad was raised in Seattle, wasn't born there, was he? Yeah, I think he was born and raised in, in Seattle as well, um, up on Lake Washington. Um, I want to, I, I don't want to screw up what, what area it was at, but they moved to California um, when he was a kid. Um, but w- how rural was it back then?
1: So where, where I actually grew up was, um, in is, well, Puyallup was kind of known as a hop, a hop community, hop farms. Okay. Uh, and basically when the, um, the wagon trains came out West, a lot of them either went down towards Oregon or they went over uh, our mountain passes here and kind of settled in the, the Puyallup Valley or the, or the Puget Sound area. Um, so technically I didn't grow up in the Seattle area. I can tell you where, where your, uh, where your dad was born though, that you probably wouldn't want to look up the property value if you lived up there. Uh, everything <laughs> just like California, everything is just skyrocketed.
0: Their house there had a, uh, that they lived in, had a view of the wa- of Lake Washington there on some hill. I want to say it was like the university district or something like that. I don't know. But it was, uh, yeah, we've driven by it a number of times, and uh, I don't think they owned it, though. They were renting back then.
1: <laughs> gotcha. So, yeah, the so I grew up in kind of the Puyallup area. My dad, my grandfather, my mom all went to the same high school in Puyallup High School. Uh, but my dad and then I ended up growing up there as well. Uh, it was actually a small town right next to Puyallup, which is called Edgewood. And they actually didn't even become a, a true town or city, <clears throat> excuse me, a true city until, uh, gosh, it was right around the 2000s. <clears throat> oh, wow. And so
0: it was unincorporated?
1: Sorry, yeah, it was unincorporated. Uh, sorry for my voice here. I was no in worries. the mountains this weekend and all the fire, unfortunately, all the fire smoke is starting to get to me. That's all um, right. So anyway, my, my little town there, Edgewood, uh, which funny because uh same junior high same thing my grandfather myself and my dad all went to the same junior high my dad and i actually shared some of the shared a couple of teachers
0: <laughs> wow but uh
1: yeah uh, that's a that's a whole other story but uh that town edgewood at that time was i mean we had a we didn't have a large piece of property but across the street was all farmland it was all like a, a horse pasture or cow pasture so the Mostly Edgewood was still kind of that old school little farming community up on the hillside. Um, so essentially like a outskirts of the larger Tacoma and so on. Uh, currently now, it's uh, just like many places, a lot of that land's being developed and apartment buildings are going up. Uh, my father has been a full-time firefighter in that town his entire career, so that he's on his second fire department remodel. Wow. So it just kind of shows you and that's just they need the they need the support for all the all the apartments and retirement homes and all that are going up. So it, it's changed big time. Every time I drive through that town, uh it's like holy smokes. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's more. <laughs> so when you were growing up,
0: how mm-hmm. did you uh what was your entertainment that young age?
1: Uh well my dad was a Full-time firefighter at that time, he was working uh, four tens, so I was home by myself during the summertime, and I had I had a BB gun that I shot cans in the backyard. I had my BMX bike that I rode all around town with friends, and that was that, that was my my entertainment. That was I just kind of I was always outside playing.
0: <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so, so d- what was your curfew like?
1: <laughs> um, you know, I really honestly never did have one. Okay. <laughs> uh, I would always come home when, when I was supposed to, uh, nothing super late unless it snowed and if it was snowed. It was the, probably wouldn't come home till after midnight, but now just my friends and I, we were into BMX bikes. We just rode around town, jump, had jumps here and there. And yeah, that was, that was my childhood. That was the, well, my early childhood at least. Yep.
0: Okay. And how was school for you in those early years?
1: <laughs> uh i've never actually been the greatest student um unless it was something i r- was really interested in and even then there, i had some issues just if i didn't get along with teachers and such for example washington state history i love washington state history but i did not get along with my teacher and that reflected on my grades right. um but then in high school i mean i had awesome and again it comes back to something i was interested in i had an amazing move. Uh, teacher awesome metal shop teacher was which was also my dad's metal shop teacher high school and uh electronics teacher so of course the stuff that i was interested in the hands-on the technical stuff i i got a's so that was but but your english classes your math classes all that stuff uh i wasn't good at all
0: (laughs) did did your did your wife grow up in that area as well
1: Yes, yeah, she did. So my wife Amelia actually grew up in Seattle, north of downtown Seattle. Okay. Um, so yeah, she hasn't. This is the further she's moved south, which is about thirty miles from her where she was born. Okay. So we're we're we oddity here.
0: Cool. So high school, a lot of tech, a lot of well shop courses. Um, did is that where you where you plan to to go to after graduation or? Did you have other plans?
1: So entering high school, I had no idea really what I wanted to do. I kind of liked the uh, uh, thought of arch- architecture, yeah, art- become an art- architect, although the math problems there, that that, that didn't help that out. Right. <laughs> uh, so basically I entered high school not really knowing what I wanted to do. Um, I signed up for a basic automotive program, and that's kind of where, where it took off. Um, kind of just fell in love with working on vehicles and – had an awesome teacher. Our class, our automotive class at Puyallup High School was actually an ASE certified class. Okay. So once you got into the advanced stuff, you actually could earn uh, college credits or sort of, or I can't remember how exactly it worked, but they were ASE credits. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where it all took off. And then, of course, he would bring in schools. He would bring in our local community colleges who taught automotive programs. He would bring in uh, UTI, Universal Technical Institute, WyoTech. They all came in, did presentations with us. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where we we're all, we're all took off.
0: And what was the first motorized vehicle that you got to drive, <laughs> whether it be motorcycle, ATV, car, truck, whatever?
1: So my early years before high school uh, was all – I actually, my dad and I raced downhill mountain bikes. So I never really, never had dirt bikes. I always wanted one. I always went to the Supercrosses here in town, everything like that. But, but my sport was the downhill mountain bike racing. That was, that was it. So that we, we traveled around the Northwest, California, uh, Utah for nationals and such. Um, so my first vehicle was until I actually got a job when I was late 16s. and It was my dad's uh, bought new 1987 uh, uh, Cherokee. Uh, with a manual so that was my first vehicle i bought it off him and that was my commuter for our first couple years or so and then um i started getting into when i was trying to figure out what i wanted to do with my life where i wanted to work for as a technician uh at the time i was big in the formula one racing which i still am i love formula one um so i was kind of a mercedes fan at that time and that was became that's kind of my, my set goal was to work for mercedes As a technician so at that so my parents had a uh, little 190e mercedes i think it was a 91 so i ended up getting that from them as well or buying that from them as well uh and then yeah that was just too fast
0: (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like you may have gotten a few tickets in it
1: actually believe it or not the only and funny story i've only gotten one speeding ticket knock on wood and that was driving a or fj cruiser Really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a fun call to uh, to the president of ARB, just let him know. And he laughed at me. He's like, it it took you this long to get a ticket, (laughs) a speeding ticket. (laughs) So, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I had my first speeding ticket. See, I got my license in March. I was working for a repair facility, and I had to go, I went to pick up a a client to get him back to the shop to get his car, his car. And he was like the city, um, architect or engineer mm-hmm. where we had the shop. And I'd picked him up driving the shop fan. I pulled out of the, out of his parking lot and went like 150 feet to where I stopped because the lights came, lights came on behind me. Mm-hmm. And I thought the guy was just, I mean, he wasn't there and then all of a sudden he was there. So I pulled over thinking that he was, you know, trying to get around me and he pulls in behind me and he's got his gun half drawn and he's coming down the side of the van, you know, cause it's a cargo van, there's no side windows. <laughs> and so I'm like, you know, oh my God, And I put my hands out the window and, uh, you know, I'm like, don't shoot, don't shoot. And he comes up and he, he wrote me a ticket for doing 45 miles an hour in a 25 uh-huh. And the guy that I was riding with, or that I was driving to the, back to the shop, you know, he works for the city, and he is just reaming this cop's butt, and he's just all over this guy. And the guy goes, "Well, we'll see you in court, I guess, kid." You know, and he wrote the ticket. And the guy, the guy showed up for juvenile traffic court with me, and my dad, just to to tell the judge that the the cop was full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I was like, I don't even know I w- if I went a quarter of a mile and it was like 150 to 200 yards is as far as I got. Right. Nice. Dumb.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some of them are out there. Oh yeah. To, to get to their quarters. Yep.
0: Yep. <laughs> so growing up driving the, the XJ yep. and man, that puts, now I'm seeing what, how, eight, how old you are. Cause those <laughs> XJs aren't that old. No. Um, okay so then uh, is that you, you you're into the automotive scene you high school you're doing the shop classes and everything um, what where did it go from there
1: um, so where it went from there I actually was signed up for UTI to go to the school down there to go through their first program and then, uh, hoping to get in the Mercedes program. I think it was in Rancho Cucamonga. Right. I believe was where their program was. Um, at one point and I am trying I was trying to, to, to remember this prior to the call, but uh, I think the, the local Mercedes dealership actually came in to our school to talk to us, kind of with some of the other dealerships in the area, like the Ford dealership. I think there's a Chev dealership. And I met the I can't remember his position. He was a manager position. But he basically persuaded me that it'd be better for them just to put me in the Mercedes program directly versus going to UTI. So I got his information, all that. He told me to come by the dealership. I think it was uh, the October after I graduated. Um, and then, unfortunately, uh, that's when 9-11 happened. So when I went to the dealership, they had kind of slimmed out. He was never no longer at that dealership. And that program the Mercedes had was put on hold um and if i remember right too i had friends that were going uti that were a year ahead of me and a lot of stuff got put on hold with them down there too just because everybody was kind of uncertain what was happening this
0: yeah so, so then what did you do instead of that uti program or the mercedes
1: yep so i was working at uh at the time like during high school i actually was hired on that firestone as a lube tech so i got to go through the uh lube and tire tech. So I get to go through the whole Firestone recall, which was fun. Uh, (laughs) that was a lot, a lot of overtime (laughs) for a, a a guy, a kid that was going to school full time too. Um, that was brief. And then I next jumped next door to an auto parts store, which I kind of climbed the ranks up. So I didn't really know what I was going to do. So I managed the retail, Alamo retail store for a couple years. And then, uh, of course, knew that wasn't going to be my full future. I my dad's always been in the computers and it's funny because he's always like we were talking earlier with a Max, he's always been a Max. Uh, he had his own web hosting company. So I decided to create my own website as a four wheel drive website. Uh, and I really wish I still had the domain name domain name still because it was four Wdrive.com. Oh wow. Um, it, it I think it is actually available, but they want like three or four grand for it. <laughs> uh, so my, my whole goal of that was to just kind of do trip reports. I was going to the local, um, uh, like poker runs and stuff and taking photos and then also sell products. Uh, so yeah, I was kind of, I, I, you know, I kind of wish I would have uh, stuck with it because I was super early. That was in 2002 or 2003. I had a working e-commerce store using just like the old school built in PayPal checkout buttons. <laughs> so, uh, that's from there. Uh, I'll go ahead and keep continuing. But from there, I think I reached out to Chris Wood, who was a long-term time ARB uh, sales rep, and he was actually he's actually at Aev now, American Expedition Vehicles. But I can't. Rem- I reached out to them about setting up account. And I can't remember if this is a hundred percent accurate, but I believe they reached out to me about a possible position at ARB in the tech department. Um, so again, I'm not hundred percent sure on that. I can't remember if, if they reached out to me or if I saw a listing when I was looking up their information, but regardless, they brought me in. I had an interview. It was kind of for like an assistant manager position, in the tech departments. Uh, I didn't get it, but they told me to come back in a couple of months and I did. And at that point I got hired on by some, Random guy, the listeners might know of Uh, his name is Tech Tim, Tech Tim Lund. Yes,
0: (laughs) who is even harder to get on the phone than you are.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he's a busy guy now. Yes, he is.
0: (laughs) So then at ARB, you started off in the tech department. Yep. Okay.
1: So that was that was May of two thousand three, and then. I believe it was July, and you'll know this one. It was I think it was July, that following July is when I met you. Uh, went to we that we rock in Goldendale, Washington. Right. And yep. That's that's where I met you guys. That's where I met a lot of industry people I still consider friends. Um it's the first time I got got drunk with the Campbells, met them and got drunk at the Campbells with at the grain silo <laughs> <laughs> in Goldendale. Uh so yeah, that's kinda <laughs> and, and met a lot of friends at that event. Um former Wee Rock competitor uh Rob McKinney. Yes. Which I consider him a best friend of mine now. Excellent. So that was my first trip or first time really meeting and hanging out with him. So yeah, I I have to credit you with a a lot to where I'm at now just from the Wee Rock event.
0: <laughs> right. So was was Scott Service working there at that time?
1: No. No, Scott okay. came on I think that was a late two thousands. I can't remember. Okay. Exactly. All right.
0: No worries. Um, so then Goldendale, it's your first rock yep. crawl. Um, yep. what did you think when you showed up there and saw what was happening?
1: Well, that was the first time I actually saw rock crawl. I think in person, I believe I had video cassette tapes back in of, of different stuff. Um, there's a little bit, what was this, rockcrawler.com? There's a little bit of stuff back then. That was all of our, and especially in our high school class, all of our favorite website at the time. Um, no, it was awesome. It was, uh, yeah, it, it was. I mean, it got to, it, it inspired me to start photographing the rock crawl events. Okay. And, yep. uh, yeah, and just kind of went down a rabbit hole from there.
0: <laughs> so let's talk about your days at ARB um mm-hmm. in the tech department but you didn't stay in the tech department
1: nope yep. so i was in the tech department i think about three years okay uh i left the tech department right when i think tim lund moved on he i think he left uh, if i remember right he left to go start his own fabrication or he was do a lot of fabrication work on the side so he he was gonna go pursue that so at that time they moved me up into the customer service um which basically I kind of I, I was still fielding technical calls, but just the easy stuff prior to getting the tech department uh, because of my product knowledge, the, I was eventually moved over to handle Latin America sales. Oh, nice. Um, so it was all wet. It wasn't like I didn't travel or anything. It was all via email, but I handled all the Latin American countries except for Venezuela and Colombia. Um, and then I also did a lot of the, the forecasting and ordering for old man EMU suspension that was my other other uh other task
0: so why not why not venezuela and colombia
1: uh, uh cuz they were they were at the time they were really really big accounts so the president of the company jim jackson was handling them directly okay and they were very if i remember right the the dealers at that time were were kind of a handful
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so so um No, I I, yeah. So everybody else, I mean, I dealt with more. And again, they were the bigger accounts, so they were the ones that needed the most attention. Right. So I handled like the smaller, the smaller accounts where I was shipping product out, small batches of product, and so on, not like big, big direct shipments or anything like that.
0: Okay, that makes sense. All right. Yep. And what what was the hardest thing from going to going into ARB for you to to learn or you know, assimilate into or anything like that? What would, what was the hardest part of that?
1: Well, going into, I mean, I had all your basic automobile know, knowledge, but there was still a lot of off-road specific technology, not technology, but technical stuff that, uh, that I really needed to learn. Uh, probably the hardest stuff was just drivetrain stuff like gear ratios and, the, and applications and so on. But,
0: ah, oh, that math. Luckily,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, luckily, uh, Luckily, having Tim there, Tim's super knowledgeable about that. I'm really lucky to have uh, the ARB engineers came over from Australia quite often, which I now call friends of my own. Um, so luckily, I had a lot of good teachers at, the young, at a fairly young age to, to pick up on all that, to learn it all Excellent. Um, From sus- and, and be a part of the different suspension developments, the airlocker developments on a few applications. Um, so I, I, I'm just grateful I had people that I was working alongside that, that I learned from. So
0: then kind of run through all of the, uh, all of your things that you did at ARB, because you were there for quite a while.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was there for a little over 17 years. Wow. Um, so tech department, customer service, the uh, helping out Latin American sales, they would throw me out in the warehouse every once in a while just to help check in big, big shipments, because they trusted my recording of serial number ability. (laughs) Uh, I would help the accounting department here and there, just just if they were overloaded. Um, And then eventually, from going to the We Rock events and stuff and doing, I really got into still photography, and a little bit of video at the time, but mostly still photography. Uh, At that time, it was right around 2007, 2008, uh, they wanted to expand the marketing department, at A or B, and because of my photography skills, they felt like I would be perfect for that role. Uh, at that time, uh, the manager, Lisa Wood, uh, yep. She, she requested it and I was brought in to be kind of her assistant to help out with all the sponsorship requests, uh, kind of anything photo related. Geez, what else? Um, event planning and so on. Um, and then eventually, when she moved on uh, to go work for General Tire and run their their marketing department and so on, then uh, if I remember right, let's see here, we brought in yeah, we brought in another person. So okay, man, you're making me dig deep down in my memory today. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so yeah, right up, in, so right up until 2017, I was in the marketing department. Uh, when I left there, my main role was anything photography related, handling outside photography, like studio stuff. We would outsource a lot of the studio photography locally here and, um, uh, ultra four stuff. So King of the hammers was kind of my baby just because I was go. I, I attended King of the hammers prior to actually being paid to be there. And we kind of really proud of what we built up there. Right. The, the technical support system, um, which rolled into product development of some very high-zoo air lockers, which is rolled over to everyday application air lockers. Um, so yeah, my prior in social media. Social media was my other main uh, task. So social media, photography, and really race, anything race related.
0: And what kind of uh, what kind of stories can you tell, or do you remember of those those early days at events? You know, any besides like meeting rob mckinney and becoming you know best friends with him and then um drinking with the campbells which never happened to anybody in goldendale um or anywhere else (laughs) so what are some Um, of the other things people that you met uh, that made a big impact
1: yeah and i hate to like just name drop people because they're so well known but I really enjoyed the on the raw crawl side. Really enjoyed going out to Golden Dale, or sorry, not sorry, not Golden Dale, but Donner. Donner was one of my favorite places to go. Ours um, too. Yeah, it's just it's just beautiful up there. I took my wife to her first uh, off road event. Really was there, and she got to meet uh, meet Jason Shear, Jason Berger, uh, all those guys, at which I had. I think I might have met them actually in my first time at Donner as well. Actually I did. Yeah. Okay. We, I met the, we stayed at Jason Berger's house, Rob McKinney and I did, and I met Jason Shear and Berger and I think uh, Nick Campbell was uh, spotting at the time. Right. For, for Jason. So, I mean, I just, I just met a lot of awesome people in the industry that I, that I can, I'll still talk to here and there and text them even if I'm not able to go to events. So that was on the rock crawl side. It was a pretty crazy event when the, the when we went down for a super crawl the one year in Vegas. That was a that was an interesting weekend. Right. <laughs>
0: Why was that interesting? Uh, Without getting so, anybody in trouble.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's a cool story. I talked so Rob, my friend Rob, who's competing. He actually snapped his uh, his camshaft in a Subaru motor moon buggy. Wow. And Chip Foose's guy was over there. He saw that, and he told Rob to, hey, pull that thing out. We could probably weld it up. And I just what? remember us running over to, yeah, Chip Foose's, I think they were, what was the show he did? It was the hot rod building show he had. Right. Uh, but they it was, so that Super Crawl was on the, right before SEMA, and his show, they were doing a live show there, so he had all of his fabrication equipment. And yeah, Chip Foose is like main welder guy. He chucked up in a lathe and was able to weld that camshaft back together. And Rob installed it, ran it, and from my understanding, it's hanging on his wall in his garage right now. <laughs> it should. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, I can't and then believe I re-
0: welded up a camshaft.
1: And then I remember, uh, yeah, Chip Foose told us, "Hey, come grab us next time you're out there running. We want to see you run." And he came out and watched Rob do his do his run that night. That's awesome. So that was. Really awesome, cool story there. Um, on the rock racing side, I mean, King of the Hammers is since I, I've been going King of the Hammers since the first non-OG year. So what, 2008? Right. So just seeing that grow to what it is now is just insane. I mean, I tell that story all the time. Like, yeah, I remember when it was just a uh, maybe 50, 60 RVs out here, if that.
0: Yeah, I don't, and, and that included all the spectators.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yep, and how a lot of media just kind of wrote it off. There weren't that media that uh, I think it was myself and maybe a handful of other guys that were always at the rock crawls and that was it.
0: Yeah, so, I was doing tech. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I still have photos from the I got friends that tell me, man, you need to you need to put all those like historical King of the Hammers photos up somewhere so everybody can see them. <laughs> That's how <laughs> yeah, the cards have all changed, but
0: Oh the um, the technology has been incredible.
1: Oh yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's insane. Yep. But, uh, I can't think of anything else that's, uh, I mean, a lot of it, unfortunately, not fortunately, but a lot of it had to do with drinking (laughs) all the the events, but I think that goes hand
0: in hand with, with (laughs) off-roaders.
1: Yeah. But that's kind of, those are the kind of stories I've I've repeated. I mean, I repeated that King of the Hammers one because a good friend of mine, I reconnected with up in a Jeep event this past weekend. Um, He's never been the King of Hammers, and I told him that story. I'm like, man, you just tell him, like, if you drive out that Thursday, Friday night, if you have to drive out to the street, it's just nonstop people camping. Right. He has to experience it. You have to go down and experience it.
0: If you're you're an off-road enthusiast, everybody should get out there once at least just to, to see what it's like. I myself have been enough times that I don't need to go that one more time. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's a it can become a very long week i just haven't been down i haven't been down in forever that i wasn't being paid to work down there so i'm just looking forward to get down and not have to do any, not be on anybody's schedule
0: <laughs> well that's when you uh get some teams to to contract with and do your photography that way
1: yeah but i kind of i kind of just want to go down there as a fan <laughs> okay <laughs> honestly in that that and my wife wants to go too. She, she's watched it on TV all these years and heard stories and she wants to go experience it.
0: Right. You don't want to be working if your wife is down there. <laughs> no. So let's uh, let's talk some more about ARB. Um, at the end there, you were doing their social media marketing, I believe? Yep. Yep.
1: Okay. Yeah. So I was, uh, I, I'm not a person that likes taking, Tons. It's like to take credit for anything, but I launched the uh, ARB's current Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube. But the, the Instagram was what I was pretty proud of, just how how fast I got that thing to grow. Uh, but luckily, with ARB, they have awesome photographers in Australia, and in the Overland market, a lot of people love those Australian vehicles, so they love seeing photos of it. So that that it was almost like cheating to build that Instagram page um just based off the australian content i had the access to so.
0: right that's what amazed me when i went to australia was the their utes as they call mm-hmm. them and i mean everything everything there it seemed like had a rooftop tent or at least an awning yep i mean maybe not the cars but anything that was that was truck or van related that kind of that way was just incredible.
1: Yeah, and then you really need a vehicle like that over there if you want to leave the city. I mean, I, I, if I remember right, too, I've been told that I think there are national parks over there. A lot of them are re, you're, it's required to have a four-wheel drive, like a high-clearance four-wheel drive. So it's almost like a, unless you want to stay in a city all the time or the suburbs, you mm-hmm. really need something somewhat built.
0: Yes, yeah, we did we did national parks while we were there. We, did, we were there for a rock crawl for a We Rock event, Australia event, and then we went uh, from that was in Sydney, and then we went up the what is the bush, not the outback, not the yeah yeah it goes it goes the coal still area, the mountains, and then the bush, and then the, you get into the the desert area, the true the true outback. But we uh, we stayed in the that bush area and hit a bunch of the national... Well, we stayed every night at national parks. And they're a lot different than U.S. national parks. They remind me more of, like, our state parks, um, where there's, like, more activities instead of, you know... Our national parks are, like, look at the geological wonders. Um, Our state parks are more, like... Hey, come out and enjoy this lake or this river or or something like that. And that's what that's what I I realized their their national parks were. At least in the areas that we went.
1: Yeah, that's true. I've never actually thought about that comparison between the national park and the state park, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's it's all about activities in the state park, really.
0: The only thing that got me about Australia was was the dang kangaroos. Well, there was a lot of <laughs> things that got that got me you know, I thought they were hilarious. The kangaroos, the first couple of days that we were there, I never saw a live one. Saw yep. lots of dead ones. <laughs> and I, I told Shelly, I said, I think they, they just pick up dead kangaroos and just throw them on the side of the road so tourists can see a kangaroo. And then we, <laughs> we stopped at this national park and I'm we've got a, we rented a Land Rover 110 that had a rooftop tent and an awning and it was all set up and everything for, for overlanding. And we... uh I was getting set up, and I turn around, and there's this big gray kangaroo, three of them. And they were totally mean mugging me and all, like, flexed out. Like, I thought they were going to, you know, that they wanted my wallet. (laughs) And I'm looking at it, and I'm going, all right, I'm almost looking eye to eye with this guy. And he he's just ripped, right? And I'm thinking... I'm not sure how to deal with this, <laughs> you know. I mean, if we were in in the United States and I was in, a, you know, in the wrong neighborhood, and you know, I I would know how to deal with it. But you know, I'm out in the out in the woods. And this old guy that was camped a couple of spots away goes, oh, just don't worry about them, mate. And he comes down there and he starts, you know, yelling at him and shooing him off, and they took off. But and i I looked at him and I said, man, they look meaner than hell. And he goes, he goes, oh, that's just the looks. They're not though. So it was like okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've seen some pictures of them. They're they're bodybuilders over there. Yeah, they are.
0: I, I don't know I don't know what it is. I guess it's you know, just the way they're built, but pretty crazy. And then the other thing they had over there were these the Australian bush turkeys, which it the first sign we saw said, you know, where we stopped at a roadside area where there was a, an informational sign for the National Parkers. And it said, "It said, you know, be on the lookout for the, the rare bush turkey, Australian bush turkey. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, and it's all wooded. Well, then we get to another camp, and there's nothing rare about them. They were everywhere. <laughs> but they were trying to be really sly. They love plastic bags, like what you'd get at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. So if you had one of those hanging with uh, with anything in it, they'd try to sneak up and then grab that trash bag and haul ass because they knew there was either food of some type in them. And then, like one guy that was camped next to us came back after after being gone all day, and they'd gotten into his stuff, his plastic bag, and it was full of dirty clothes. And his clothes were spread out all over the campground. Oh, man. Yeah, he wasn't too thrilled with that. <laughs> so then, um, what, you know, after ARB, where did you go?
1: Yep, so after ARB, I went to a local shop here in Washington that was a, that really specialized in the overland market. Okay. So uh, that was about a little over a year or so working there. Uh, as the marketing manager, so handling pretty much anything marketing related from event planning, uh, e commerce. I, I cleaned up the e commerce store, um, improved it. Uh, yeah, I mean, anything really e commerce and, and marketing, I did it there. Okay. A uh, lot, lot different going from a big corporation, an ARB, down to a small regional company. Right, um, with
0: only a handful full of employees.
1: Yep, yeah, there's 24 total employees, I believe. Okay, um, and then most recently, uh, got it's a lot, lot, bigger company, but not A or B big. Uh, now I handle digital marketing, so mainly Google Ads for a company called Aftermarket Aftermarket Performance Group. Um, so I've been there since June, I believe it was yeah about June. Uh, absolutely love it. It's an enthusiast-run company that pretty much everybody in this company that I've dealt with are car people, whether it's on the truck side, Jeep side, or car, go fast Subaru stuff. Uh, but the group is a, it's a, it's a group that owns uh, several e-commerce based companies, uh, distribution centers, so that the supply to the, the mom, the mom and pop shops. Okay. Uh, as well as manufacturers of actual products as well. So the listeners are going to be more familiar with one one of the companies, which is Northridge. That's one of the brands under the, under the aftermarket performance group.
0: Okay. What are the other um, brands? So, so
1: they're on the truck side. You have Stage Three Motorsports, which is a lot of um, uh, like half ton Ford, so F one hundred and fifty, Ram fifteen hundred, some Mustang stuff.
0: And that's called State uh, New- Street.
1: Stage. Like, stage. Uh, okay. Yep. Stage three motorsports. Stage three. Yep. And um, that's
0: not what I heard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep. So that's all kind of the, the Raptor stuff, the, the smaller four vehicles. Um, you have Alligator Performance, which is uh, – that's uh, I believe they purchased that right before I started. Uh, that's all like heavy di- – not heavy diesel. I keep saying heavy diesel. But like F-250, uh, three-quarter ton and bigger, okay. essentially. Um, that's kind of it on the truck side and then on the car side company Rally Sport Direct which is all what it sounds like high performance parts for Subarus Um, and then there's a few other companies like Subi Speed FT Speed so it's all catering to import street market really Nice. Uh, and then some of these companies also manufacture their own products so that's why the group purchased them because they wanted manufacturing abilities as well Um, and then there's distribution centers. So premier performance is a big one for a lot of the mom and pop, um, off-road shops. A lot of people purchase through them. That's where you can get a lot of the, if you specialize in four wheel drive stuff, then you you should have heard of them by now. Right. (laughs) So, yeah. So my role, uh, is really Google ads for all, all these channels. So I'm handling the Jeep side stuff. That's been super easy because I'm a Jeep guy. I can write copy. I can do. I, I know the photos. I know the vehicles, the super that sorry, the import car side's been kind of a, a learning curve. <laughs> right. Just Cause I haven't had really, besides having friends back in high school, having law on the civics and such was never really exposed to imports. Um, besides Mercedes. Okay. So that's where I'm at right now. Again, awesome company. They really pride themselves on uh, a company full of car enthusiasts, automotive enthusiasts who are running the company. Sweet. Um, so yeah super super happy with this company being here
0: that sounds like a good fit for you
1: oh yeah uh and then also too just staring at a computer screen all day it is it has been a little bit of a transition however it's really pushing me to want to be outside all on the weekends so which uh i haven't felt that in a long time
0: <laughs> right i noticed i noticed because we're we we talk a lot um not necessarily by phone we do a lot of texting and messaging but uh you've been doing a lot of of camping and going out on the on the adventure trails and stuff up there in Washington.
1: Yep. Yeah, so I'm just trying to I have a vehicle that's built for it so I'm just trying to explore our state as much as possible really and it's been awesome.
0: Let's talk about that vehicle.
1: Yep, so like I said, I'm a Jeep guy, so I've actually got four Jeeps in the stable. Oh, wow. <laughs> so my – wasn't my first one, but my first real Jeep was uh, – I have a 93 YJ that I've had since I was 20. Uh, I've completely built it up myself. It's pretty much – it's got airlockers front and rear. I mean, it's your basically basic low Jeep YJ on 35. So around here, a lot of our trails are, are tight, and you do a lot of tree dodging. So most smaller jeeps like a YJ or a TJ and stuff, uh thirty-five inch tires is about perfect. So it's kind of built for again tree dodging around here. And some of our trails were built by are actually old uh pioneer wagon trails. I mean so that tells you how narrow some of these trails are. Right. Um uh so that's that's my main Jeep. Unfortunately, it's kind of been neglected. This It lives in a garage, but it's been neglected because last year I purchased a Gladiator and put a lot of time and money into that. And it's built for mainly camping and adventure travel. Um, it's a special ordered. I fell in love with a Gladiator when I worked at ARB, and then the diesel came out. So I special ordered one with a diesel, firecracker red, and very minimum options, just minimal options because I knew what I was going to do to it. I, I knew I was going to put a better suspension on there. I knew I was going to put air lockers in the front and rear, bumpers and so on. So I didn't want to spend the extra money on a package that I was just going to take off anyway.
0: Right. That makes so sense. So that's
1: my so that's my main venture vehicle, camping vehicle. It's got a Alucab canopy camper, which is a South African company that builds a – it's what it sounds like it's a canopy and has a built-in tent system that you access via inside – the camper or the
0: canopy. Um, right. I like, I've seen those. Um, one of the girls on the rebel had one, of course they couldn't mm-hmm. use it because they were, <laughs> they tent camp and the, the vehicles go into, um, an impound. So mm-hmm. if girls have come with rooftop tents or anything like that, um, you know, they, they can't, they don't end up using them, but, um, that, and then we were camped next to somebody in, uh, Minnesota, I believe it was, that had one, and we checked it out. And they're really nice.
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. I mean, it's it's pretty much completely sealed. Uh, this past weekend, I was in some nasty silt, like really deep silt. And I see a little trace of dust in there, so I got to chase that down. But otherwise, I mean, it's almost a hundred percent sealed. No, no dust. Um, has a heater system in there, so I'm really looking forward to snow camping this uh, this winter. Getting out there. That's what these um,
0: people said. They were they were from the from the northern part of the country and they said that uh that it was a four season camper.
1: Yep. Yeah, I just need to do a little insulation on there and then we'll be good to go. Um the other vehicles, I gotta mention it because my wife will probably listen to the podcast, but she's got her baby, which is a two thousand eighteen Grand Cherokee with a five seven in it. Oh nice. Uh, and for her birthday. Uh, we installed a Corsa exhaust on there, and the thing just sounds amazing now.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, again, it's her it's her baby. She doesn't want to think about ever getting rid of it. Um, yeah, and then uh, then I have my, my grocery getter. I got a two-wheel drive 2001 silver Jeep Cherokee. <laughs> there you go. That, that my wife hates. She doesn't know why I still have it. I have to tell her all the time. This is my going to parking garages and running the grocery store Jeep.
0: You yeah, don't worry got about it. door dings or anything. Nope, nope. <laughs> that makes that makes sense. So let's <laughs> yeah. talk about how you guys met.
1: Uh, well, it's kind of kind of funny. We've actually met on MySpace.
0: <laughs> on MySpace.
1: <laughs> on MySpace, yeah. I, you were I friends with Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it was kind of funny that she would. Yeah, she would just send me and she sent me a couple friend requests And the second one i approved just some random we started talking i i joked and said that she stalked me online she Perfect. denies it but yeah, and then <laughs> she trusted me and her parents let me pick her up one day first time meeting and i took her down to our local state fair which is a it's a huge fair it's like it's a massive fair but that was our first date
0: <laughs> at the state fair awesome
1: Yep, first time ever meeting in person, first date. So, yep. so kind of yeah, a it. kind
0: of a blind blind date. I mean, you'd seen pictures, oh. but it's a lot different. You know, meeting for the first time can be uh, can be unnerving, especially if you've communicated, <laughs> um, you know, digitally.
1: Yep, yep. It was all via Facebook or sorry, MySpace messaging and phone calls. I mean, we talked on the phone. But that was the first time meeting after talking for about a month.
0: Interesting, interesting. <laughs> and and you were working at ARB then, right?
1: Yep. Yeah, I actually picked her up our first day. I picked her up and can't remember if it was FJ Cruiser or our our uh, full runner we had, but it was a company car. Nice. So the boss at the time let me borrow it for the date.
0: <laughs> did Did the company then, pay for gas or did you?
1: No, no I paid for it. Okay. <laughs> and then going then going forward it was mostly uh uh me picking her up in my little black YJ. So that's 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 where we went out in dates with.
0: <laughs> and was was she at all involved or interested in off-road at that time?
1: Nope. she when I met her, she had a Ford Taurus. Okay. And then within a couple of years, she had a ZJ that we uh, we built up for her. Um yeah, and she absolutely loved that. That was uh, my commuter for a minute until somebody decided to run a stop sign and take me out. But, <laughs> but uh, nope, she was not a car person at all. And the funny thing is, that her her grandfather was uh, he owned one of the biggest tire distribution centers in Seattle at the time, or not at the time, but when he was younger. So okay. her whole family's was kind of was built up, not built, but her whole family was involved in the automotive industry. But nope, she was she was driving a Ford Taurus.
0: Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. And uh how long have you guys been married?
1: Uh it was 13 years this July.
0: 13 years this July. Congratulations. Thank you. So what is on the horizon for you? What do you, what do you what do you hope What are your hopes and dreams?
1: Boy. That's a hard question.
0: Sorry, you can take your time. I can edit out all the the, the long <laughs> drawn out blanks.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm just kind of grateful that again I've met so many people and I've accomplished so much so far at, at a fairly young age. Uh, we were smart and we purchased a home super early. Actually, we purchased it before we actually officially got married. <laughs> and then that's commitment. With a real, yeah, with the real estate market around here, we made it off like a bandit and purchased kind of a dream home. Now that we probably won't ever leave until we can't climb the stairs to our bedroom anymore. Okay. That's probably, um, happy with my super happy as a career, the people I've met again, accomplishments in photography. I mean, everything. I mean, so yeah, I don't really have side staying healthy. Uh, I get, I, I kind of need to get out more, even more than I have been. There's so much of this state that, that I haven't seen. So but yeah, no. Um,
0: what what's your what is the area that you want to go to in Washington the most that you haven't explored yet?
1: So I've, I've explored most of the area, but the area that I need to explore more is actually the Olympic Peninsula. There is actually a lot of roads, back roads, and such you can go explore. Exactly. Um, I do want to. I, I love one of the reasons I we're never going to move away from this area probably is because we both love the mountains, snow, and saltwater. So I love the beaches. So I haven't really explored or gone down the Oregon or the California coast. So that's all, that's all I'll list in the next couple of years as well. Excellent. Um, just we both love the ocean, love the salt water. So And then uh, maybe down the road, and my wife will probably laugh and hit me or something like this, but would like to get a boat at some point and explore by water up here in the Puget Sound
0: Oh, I would have to agree with that. I would love to explore the Puget Sound. Yep.
1: Yeah. Cool. I'm lucky. We're lucky to have an uncle that's got a boat. So I've spent a lot of time in the San Juans and the Gulf Islands, which is the Canadian San Juans, and north up into Canada. So, But that'd be really fun to to really, really explore. Um, and then also, even by Jeep, too, I, one of the reasons I picked up the diesel Gladiator, too, was to get up into Canada. I mean, we're only three hour drive about to the Canadian border, uh, in BC. So, I mean, there's lots of stuff up there. I'm seeing a lot of stuff on YouTube on Vancouver Island and on the mainland and just, you can get super remote out there. So I'd love to get up in that area in the next year or so.
0: That's cool. And then, uh, any, any other, you know, lifelong goals you want to write a book or, you know, a coffee table book on your photography or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I, I've got a lot of years of sports photography, so that would be something like, I mean, I it's sad. I have no photos of, jeez, I have no photos in the house that I've, that I've actually taken, so there's nothing on the walls. My office has no photos on the walls, living room, nothing. So I have a stockpile of both some landscape sports photo photography, so someday I want to print them out. And yeah, maybe do a book, follow a book. So
0: let's talk about your sports photography for a little bit. How did you yep. get? How did you get involved in doing that? And what was the first, the first league that you shot?
1: So funny, funny enough that my break into sports photography was actually through a contact I met at ARB. But prior to that was, um, um, after doing all the off-road stuff. I really wanted to kind of do some mainstream sports. So there was a local semi-pro football league I hooked up with that would go do all their marketing photos and, and the players would buy photos from me. So that was kind of a real break-in on non-Modomo sports. Um, and then a friend of – actually, I got to credit Tim Lund on this one too, but a good friend of Tim, had, while I was at ARB as a tech, he was the team photographer for the Detroit Lions at the time. Okay. So I got to know him. He mentored me. Uh, I got to fly out to Detroit and I flew actually to one of the 49er games too when, when Detroit was in town and just basically built a portfolio of NFL photos. And then, kind of once you have that, for me at least, my experience, once I had that, that base of photos and people go, see, well, he's been on the NFL sidelines. He must be okay. He must be trustworthy. And then Doors just kind of opened up. Um, so I've been shooting for USA Today Sports, covering all the Seattle teams since, I think 2011 was my first year with them. Wow. So I've shot Mariners. Like this year has been real heavy on the Mariners. They were they really want to cover the team the entire season because they felt pretty good that they make the playoffs. And it looks like that's going to happen. I've shot the Seahawks all these years. Sounders, which is our pro team, and then our pro soccer team. Uh, some University of Washington stuff over the years, and then now we have a professional hockey team up here finally. So now I'm part of that, covering that too. We covered that entire season last year.
0: That's pretty awesome. So I, I'm yep. going to tell you a story that was uh, – I, I graduated from Brooks Institute of Photography in Santa Barbara back in the day when it was – a good school. In fact, it was still around. It's one of the top three photography schools in the United States. Mm-hmm. And when I got out of college, you know, we'd been, my family had been Niner season ticket holders for like since 70, 71 in that 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 range. I graduated in 81. And I contacted the, the 49ers and said, hey, I'd really like to be I'd like to do a photo essay throughout the year, starting at the beginning of training camp, or, you know, I was in April when I graduated from college, so it was right after that is when I contacted him, and I said, you know, from, from like day one, you know, in the building, I'll just be a shadow, um, nobody will even know I'm there, I just want to do a photo essay of the whole year. And they, uh, they came back and said, you know, that's a great idea, but no, thank you. Um, you know, cause I didn't, wasn't, a, and I said, well, what about, you know, becoming a, a game day photographer? And they said, well, you're, you know, you need press cr- credentials. So at the time I was living in Pacifica. So I got hold of the Pacifica newspaper and I said, Hey, I need press credentials because I'm going to, you know, I, I've got a chance to go shoot the Niners during game days. And they said, Oh, okay. So they gave me, you know, they gave, they made me official press with them. I contacted the Niners and they said, no, 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 no. You have to have real credentials from a real newspaper or news outlet. Well, you know, the the Chronicle and the Examiner and none of those guys were going to do anything. So I was just, I got really frustrated. Well, that was the year that the Niners won their first Super Bowl with Montana. Oh. (laughs) That 81-82 season. And I was just like, are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <What> a, <laughs> that would have been such a breakthrough to be able to get that, to have that. And uh, oh yeah, would have been it awesome. didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I probably, if that would have happened, I'd have probably been completely different and I wouldn't have been into off-road and my life would be completely different. And I'm glad it's not.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm fortunate that I get to do both. I'm, I'm a rarity. I think in the off-road industry that I like mainstream sports and and off-roading and dirt sports.
0: <laughs> right. And Formula One.
1: Yeah, Formula One is – I'm a big fan of Formula One.
0: Yeah, because most people that, that, you know, when they talk about anything automotive, especially competitive automotive sports, you know, ball and stick sports, they just, you know, they're not interested in.
1: And yeah, uh, exactly.
0: you know, it's like, oh, you can't do both. And I think that's bull, so <laughs> – <laughs> yeah, You heard it here, America. <laughs> <laughs> so then um, things are going great in your life, it sounds like.
1: Oh, yeah. Yep. Super happy.
0: Excellent. And um, you're in the house that you uh, – your lifelong house, it sounds like?
1: Yep. Unless we win the lottery or, uh, again, we can't walk up the stairs anymore. We yeah. don't plan on moving. <laughs>
0: so, okay, you, you spoke of the lottery. In case, in, Unless you win the lottery – but do you play?
1: Uh, I do. I, I'll okay. do every once in a while. Yeah. All right. I'll good. throw a couple bucks at it when I go to the grocery store.
0: Okay. That's fine. I do too. <laughs> so, because um, when anybody says that, I said, but do you play? And if they say, well, no. And I said, then you can't use that. You got to come up with something else.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I will. I'll, I'll pull a couple bucks out of my wallet anytime I'm at the grocery store.
0: Excellent. Excellent.
1: Yeah. I figure if I'm going to win, it's going to win off a couple bucks. It's not going to win off. How some people s- throw a hundred dollars at the machine when the, the lottery hits a big number?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so then, what, uh, what do you do besides sports photography and automotive? What other passions do you have?
1: Oh boy,
0: do you do you do you do any art? Do you no, do no. any construction around the house?
1: Yeah, it with this current house I've done it's not a passion, but uh remodeled the kitchen for the most part myself with, with help of some family members on some of the like some of the framing stuff for a larger window. But I'm all I've always been kind of a self taught person. So I'll always look into something before I have to pay for anything, which I don't like to do if right. I if I know I can figure it out or do it. So um I, I tried to be a fisherman. <laughs> uh,
0: you know what they they named it wrong you're you're not out i mean they fished they did it right you're out fishing you're not yeah. catch it's not called catching oh yeah you know
1: this, some people get really this, lucky but yeah even this past weekend uh i took the jeep up and i got up to kind of a remote it's considered a high lake or a high lake in this area and i knew the lake was listed as abundant lake. By the Washington Fish and Wildlife because it was overpopulated, right? So I figured, oh well, I have to be able to grab one out of there. I mean, I got up to this lake. It's a little over five thousand feet elevation. You could look out in the water, and at any given point, see at least fifteen fish swimming around. <laughs> and I, I tried an hour and nothing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that that that's my fishing ability.
0: So you didn't you didn't use the net lure, huh? <laughs> no, <laughs> uh,
1: I was up there by myself. Just me, didn't see anybody else, just the fish, and and nothing. And they just looked
0: and and laughed at you.
1: Yep, pretty much. I would have starved that night. (laughs) 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 So that's, I mean, unfortunately I don't get out that often, the fish, but uh, I kind of prefer saltwater fishing. We have king salmon runs up here, silver salmon. We have uh, crabbing's awesome. It can be awesome up here. Um. So I really enjoy that, getting out in the salt water. Unfortunately, I didn't get out there this year. But uh, when it comes to fishing, I really prefer the salt. Um, Trying to think of anything else. I mean, that's...
0: I think we've touched all the bases.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Because really, yeah, my free time, besides house duties, I'm usually out in the Jeep somewhere, exploring up in the mountains or along the coast or... Yeah, I used to be real into hiking, but I haven't really done that for a long time.
0: Okay. And but, uh, uh, I know Tim Tim Lund has uh, been training on his mountain bike because he's going to go do Scotland or Ireland, Scotland, with his son on bikes or something like that. Are uh, are you training like that still?
1: Uh, no, no. No? Okay. <laughs> Actually, I didn't even, yeah, I didn't even, I knew he was into mountain biking, but I didn't know him and Dallas's son were planning a big trip like that. That's cool.
0: Yeah, that's why I haven't been able to get him on the every time I, I, I get hold of him, I said, Hey, are you ready? And he goes, Oh no, I'm gonna I'm gonna be too tired. I'm gonna go out and do twenty five miles or fifty miles tomorrow. And I'm like <laughs> <Nice>. Okay. <laughs> I'll do right that truck. Be,
1: yeah. Maybe this will be a little bit of a kick in his butt. <laughs> there you go.
0: Yeah, I'd like to get him on. Anyway, all right, well, Hey Stephen, thank you so much for coming on and spending some time and and talking about yourself and and your history and uh, your off road passion and your photography passion. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
0: All right, and so uh, you take care, and uh, I'll call you later. Cool. Cheers. All right. Bye bye. Right. Well, that's another episode of Conversations with Big Rich. I'd like to thank you all for listening. If you could do us a favor and uh, leave us a review on any podcast service that you happen to be listening on, or send us an email or a text message or a Facebook message, and let me know uh, any ideas that you have, or if there's anybody that you have that you think would be a great guest, please forward the contact information to me so that we can uh, try to get them on. And always remember, live life to the fullest. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and live life with all the gusto you can. Thank you.